seated. Okay, so uh, like I already mentioned this morning, we are going to be exploring and unpacking the subject of prayer, of what does biblical prayer look like. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this subject of prayer under two headings. So we're going to begin this morning by looking at the command to pray, and then we're going to look at the confidence to pray. So, so Jesus here in this passage, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, in the first section, he commands us to pray. And then in the second section, he gives us the confidence to pray. And so that's how we're going to go through it this morning. So the first thing he does is he gives us a command to pray. I'm going to reread verses 7 uh, and 8. Look what he says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so Jesus here gives us a command to pray. And what I want to do this morning is I want to unpack this command by asking two questions. As we look at this command to pray, there are two questions that I think are going to help us get a better idea of the command that Jesus is giving us. The first question I want to ask and answer this morning is, in light of what Jesus says, is how should we pray? Jesus is actually telling us how to pray, and we're going to answer the question, how should we pray? Then the second question, after we look at how should we pray, the second question will be then, why don't we pray? Okay, so how should we pray, and then why don't we pray? So let's begin by looking at the first question. To understand this command is, how should we pray? Jesus says that our prayers should be marked by three distinct characteristics. If you are going to pray in a way that honors God and helps others and helps you, You have to pray with these three distinct marks. You need to pray obediently, you need to pray accordingly, and you need to pray progressively. We're going to look at each one of those. The first thing that our prayer should be marked by is we should be praying obediently. Obediently. Here's what I mean by obediently. In this passage, Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. And what it seems like, on the surface at least, it seems like Jesus is making a suggestion. See, because a lot of times what people do is they make suggestions. So you, you watch Oprah and you watch, you know, you, you Dr. Phil and, and I know those are old people, but just, but just examples. We, we go to the world and what the world does is the world gives you suggestions. But Jesus here isn't giving you a suggestion. He is giving you a command. Okay, because in the Greek, the, the, the word ask, the word seek and the word knock are all in the present imperative, which what it means is, is Jesus is commanding you to pray. Okay. So we have to be obedient in our prayer. And here's the thing about not only the imperative means it's a command, the present, what that means is that he expects you to continue praying. He doesn't want you just to pray once. He wants you to be continually praying. He wants you to be continually seeking. He wants you to be continually knocking. Okay? So this this first point of, of how we should pray obediently is very, very important. And we know that prayer is important to Jesus because this is the third time in this sermon that Jesus brings up prayer. The thing that the subject that Jesus brings up more than any other subject in the Sermon on the Mount is the subject of prayer. That's how important prayer is. And since Jesus is commanding us, then we have to be obedient. Here's what this means, guys. If you are a follower of Jesus, prayer is not an option for you. We are to pray in season and out of season. We are to pray whether we want to or whether we don't want to, whether it's a high season or a low season. We have to pray. We have to pray obediently because Jesus is commanding something. Listen, when Jesus commands something and you don't obey it, you're sinning. So you can call your lack of prayer whatever you want. Jesus calls it sin. Okay? Because we are to pray obediently. Then the second thing, not only are we to pray obediently, then, and this one's probably the most important of the three, we are to pray 
accordingly. Here's what I mean by praying accordingly. One of the things that, one of the mistakes you can make is when you look at verse 7 and 8, you can say, oh, okay, that Jesus says that I can ask for whatever I want. I can seek for whatever I want. I can knock on whatever door I want. And he has to answer because that's what the passage says. That's why prosperity people love this verse. Because I can ask God whatever I want. He's got to give it to me because that's what the passage says. Here's the problem. The problem is this isn't the only place in Scripture where Jesus talks about prayer. And so when you isolate one section and say, oh, this is all that Jesus is about prayer, it's not all Jesus says about prayer. Amen. And you know how I know that he's not saying you can, this isn't, it, a lot of us see that, oh, this is just a blank check and I can just ask for whatever I want. I just, I, as long as I put, as long as I ask and, 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 and seek and, and knock, he's got to answer it because this is a blank check that says I can ans- ask whatever I want. But that's not true. Because what the Bible tells us uh, later on in this passage, but in, the Bi- in, the, in Scripture in general, the Bible tells us we have to pray accordingly. Here's what I mean by praying accordingly. In Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is talking to us about the Lord's prayer, he says that we are to pray for God's kingdom to come and for God's will to be what? Done. See, and there's another place in Scripture where Jesus says anything you ask for in my name. So you're not going to God in your name. You're going to God in Jesus' name because you got nothing to bring to the table. You got to go in Jesus' name. So, so one of the mistakes you can make is you can make the assumption that I could just ask for whatever I want, however I want. And that's not what the passage says. You got to pray accordingly. According to what? To the standards that Jesus gives us. Okay? Now, here's, here's, what's, here's what's so interesting about this passage. The Bible says in this passage that, that God is a good father who gives good gifts. Okay? So the reason why we know this isn't just a blank check that we can ask for whatever we want, whenever we want, is because God is only in the business of giving good gifts, okay? Actually, John Stott, who was this British theologian who died a long time ago, he, he brought up this point. He said, look, when you look at this, at this passage, you could actually reverse it because in the next section, he uses the image of a, of a child going to a father, asking for a fish and instead getting a snake or asking for bread and instead getting a stone. He, John Stott, he, he flips that, that parable around and he's like, one of the ways that you can tell whether you have a good father or not is not, is not just by the good gifts he gives, but from the bad gifts he withholds. Can I get a witness in here? That's what he's saying. A good father is, you can tell what a good father is, not just by the good gifts he gives, but by the bad gifts he withholds. Because here's the thing, listen to me. So take that parable and flip it. If a child was going up to the father and asking for a snake, you wouldn't be a good father if you gave him a snake. If, if, If the child is going up to the father and asking for a stone, you wouldn't be a good father if you gave him a stone. And so what's beautiful about God, and the reason why we should be praying accordingly, is because God gives you the good gifts that you need, not the bad gifts that you want. He's in the business of giving you what you need, not in the business of giving you what you want. That's what a good father does. Okay? And honestly, I wish one Sunday we could just do a series and, 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 and just a sermon on the, the, the prayers that God didn't answer. See, so often we praise God for what he did. But praise God for what he didn't do. Praise God for the, the things that I've asked that he hasn't given me. Praise God for the things that I've sought out that I never found. Praise God for the doors I knocked on that never opened. Man, I, I, I've prayed to, to, to I, wish, I, I want to be with this person, or I prayed I want to get this job, or I prayed I want to move to that city. I, there's no way I would be where I was if God answered all my prayers. 
And the one, one pastor put it this way. He says, God does everything you would do if you knew everything he knew. <laughs> so if you knew everything God knew, you would do the same thing he's doing. But you don't know what he, what he knows, so you got to just calm down. Be the child and let him be the father. Because you're not the father, you're the child. Okay? So we have to pray accordingly. God is a good God. He is a good father, and he reveals it not just by the good gifts he gives, but by the bad gifts that he withholds. We have to pray accordingly. Then the last thing we should be doing, the last type of prayer that we should be praying is we should be praying progressively. And here's what I mean by progressively. What, what commentators say is that Jesus is building on himself. He's, he's building on the prayer. So he talks about asking, then it grows in intensity from asking to seeking. And then after you're done seeking, it grows in even greater intensity to, to knocking. And what, what one commentator said is that what, what Jesus is saying is that there are times in our life that the type of prayers that we're praying is we're asking for something that we need. Right? Sometimes we're in the asking mode. We're in the asking season. We're asking for something that we need. There's other times in our life where the types of prayer we're praying is we're, we're seeking for something that we've lost. And then there's other times what we're praying for is for God to open doors that we're knocking on. So there are asking prayers and there are seeking prayers and there are knocking prayers. And those depend on the season of life that you're in. So maybe right now you, you're asking for something that you think you need. Or maybe right now you, you're seeking for something that you're convinced is going to fulfill you. Or maybe right now you're knocking on a door and you're, you want to know if God's going to open it. Those are different types of prayers that we pray throughout our lives. But here's the other thing. Here's what I mean by progressively. It builds on each other. So, so there's, there's, a, there's, this, there's this demeanor in the person that you continue to grow in your request. It, it, you, you, don't, you don't ever walk away from God. You just keep going to God and wait until he answers. You refuse to give up. You are persistent. And what one commentator did is he gave this illustration. It was a very helpful illustration. He said, imagine you are a child, right, and your mom and your dad or your mom or your dad or a parent is in the room, right? If your parent is right next to you, then all you have to do is ask because they're right there. If the person, if your parents in the other side of the room, then you, in the other side of the house, you got to go seek after them because they're not in your vicinity, right? Now, if, if they're in the other side of the house and the door's closed, then you got to knock. And so what he says is that sometimes in the season that we find ourselves, God is right there. So all we got to do is ask. Sometimes it might seem like he's distant, so we got to go looking. And then sometimes then, then he might even feel like the door is locked. And you know what you do? You knock that thing until it falls down. One of, the, one of the, 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 the pictures, one of the, the, the people in my life who, who embody this passage is, is my younger daughter, Alicia. And uh, uh, her, her name is Alicia, but we call her Cha-Cha. That's her street name. And uh, 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 she, she does uh, freestyles on the side. her rap name. So, so, so she, uh, she's got a mixtape coming out next year. But anyway, so, um, so we, call her, we call her Cha-Cha. And, and Cha-Cha is crazy, okay? And she's aggressive, and she's stubborn, and she's feisty. And so just don't approach her out in the lobby. Like, she will cut you, okay? Like, don't you be careful. Like, just, just take your time. Be like, hey, can I approach? Is that okay? Like, is you, she, she doesn't play that game, okay? But one of the things about my younger daughter, Cha-Cha, is that she embodies this passage perfectly. Because here's what she does. When, when I'm at home, so every other week, you know, depending on the week, there's times where I will work from home on my sermon. And so her older sister is in school and she's hanging out with Lily in the living room. And so I have like this little office space that I have towards the back of our house. So um, um, what I do, because I know how she is, is I go in there and I, I, I just try to be as quiet as possible because I know that she's just, at some point she's going to bust into the room, right? But here's, here's the, the, the three steps that she takes, right? 
when she needs me, when she decides, okay, I need to go speak to my father, the first thing she does is ask. And by ask, I mean she screams my name from wherever she is in the house. And it's like, Poppy! She calls me Poppy because we're Hispanic. And uh, I don't let my kids call me dad. Uh, so, so, um, and so she's like, Poppy! Poppy! And so me being a father, I, I, I get terrified. Like I lock doors and stuff. I'm like, oh, no, she's coming. Like I'm just like, I, I got sermons to write on. I, I, can't, I can't be bothered right now. So me being the father of the year. So, um, so she screams for about three solid minutes at the top of her lungs, right? Once that doesn't work, then she comes seeking after me. And she's like a bloodhound, yo. I could be hiding in a closet under the bed. She's going to find me, okay? <laughs> she comes after. She starts seeking after me. And me, like I said, father year, when I hear her coming, I lock the door because I, I don't want to be bothered. And so, so, so what she does is when she finally identifies the room I'm in, she starts knocking on that door. And it's not like a light knock, like, hey, you know, hey, father, can I get it? It's like a SWAT team trying to break in, trying to get in the house, okay? It, 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 she's pounding on that thing. And you know what she does when I don't answer, which happens a lot? Uh, 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 you know what she does? She goes, gets a butter knife, and breaks into the room. So she'll pound and pound and pound and pound, and after all, she's like, all right, well, you're not going to open it. Cool. And then all of a sudden, you hear the lock. <laughs> I'm raising criminals at my house. I'm trying to break in anywhere, just call the Franco girls. They're, they're, they're ready. They stay ready. Okay? But that's how she is, though. And you know why, though? You know why she does that? Because she knows who her father is. She knows who she is. She's a child. And she knows who her father is. And so she knows I'm not going to reject her. She knows that I love her. She knows that she can come to me. And sometimes it's the dumbest things that she comes to. You would think like the world's ending. And all she wants to do is show me a picture or something. Right? But that's how we should be praying, guys. That's what it means to be praying progressively. Listen, listen, guys. In order to pray progressively, there's two things that need to be true of you. First, you need to be humble because only humble people go to God. Right? But after a while, like, it, hum, being humble will get you maybe praying three times. You'll ask three times or, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll seek a few times. But after being humble for a while, God's not answering yet, you got to go from being humble to being helpless. And only people who are helpless go to God. But what we do is we're, we're not really that helpless. It's not really that bad. So, so we, we ask a little bit, hey, God, I would really like your help. And if he doesn't answer after one or two times, well, okay, I guess he's not going to help me. We'll look for a little bit, and if we don't find it, then, well, I guess I'm not supposed to find it. We do a light knock on his door. Tap, 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 tap. Oh, well, I guess he's not going to open it. See, humble people will ask. Helpless people will seek and knock. But the reason why we don't seek and knock is because we don't think we're helpless. We don't think we're helpless. That's the problem. So, so God says, hey, come to me, and we're like, yeah, I'll go to you, but... Let me try my options first. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask, but if you don't, how many people here today are angry at God for him not answering a prayer and you ask for it twice? You do a Will Franco see, uh, uh, look. That's what I do. I call it the Will Franco look. Like I'm looking for my keys and I'll do the Will Franco glance. Nope, I don't see it. And then, then we do the Lily Franco search. Then I go to Lily and I'm like, Lily, I don't know where my keys are. And then she'll actually look and she'll be like, oh, they're right there, honey. Oh, okay. That, Right in front of me the whole time. You guys do the, the, the Will Franco search. You just glance. Oh, well, I guess there's no answer here. I tried God. Now I'm angry at God. I'm not coming to church anymore because he didn't answer the prayer I prayed once in 93. 
Come on. And he, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I, one commentator said this, and I think it's, just, it's so well said. He said that one of the things you might assume when Jesus talks about progressively growing in your intensity and in praying, one of the things that you might assume is that the reason why you got to keep praying harder and, and more intensely is because you're trying to change God's heart. But, but you're not trying to change God. God's actually trying to change you. You persisting in prayer has nothing to do with changing God's heart because he's a good father that wants to bless you. God's not trying to change. You're not trying to change God's disposition. You're trying to change your own disposition. God makes you wait for your own sake. That's what the Puritans call the school of waiting. God puts us in the classroom of waiting. And it's not about him being changed. It's about us being changed. Listen, you know what you got to ask yourself? The next time you're praying for something and you're begging for something and you're asking God to do something, here's what you got to ask. The question shouldn't be, is God willing to give? The better question is, am I ready to receive? Because a lot of times we're not. And you know what God does? I am convinced of this. John Piper wrote a book on prayer. I think it was an article on prayer, and he said something once. He says, there are things that God wants to give you that he refuses to give you unless you pray for them. You know why? Because if you don't pray, then if you get it, you're going to think you got it. I, I, I'll share this with you. This is something that I want to thank the Lord for. Tri Village over the past month has had a record number week after week. Like we just keep growing week after week after week after week. I've been praying for that for, 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 for years, since we started. But because I, I persist, I keep knocking on that door. I keep seeking after that thing. I'm like, Lord, send us people who don't know you. Send us people who don't have family. Send us people who, 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 who have nowhere else to go. As I've been praying for that, now that it's happening, I can't get the glory for that because I'm talking to God about it. See, so, so sometimes the question isn't, is God, is, is God willing to give? Because he is willing to give. The, the better question is, are you ready to receive? Because why, why is God going to give you something that's not going to result in his glory or your good? So praying progressively is so important. God is such a good father. Listen to this. He is such a good father that not only does he want to do something through you, give you whatever it is you want. Not only does he want to work something through you, he wants to do something in you. He's not an ATM, he's not a genie, he's a father. So he wants to do something for you, a good gift, but he wants to do something in you first. So those are the first, the first question. How should we pray? We should be praying obediently, we should be praying accordingly, and we should be praying progressively. Now, the second question I want to ask under this first point, as we look at this command to pray, is now that we know how to pray, the question is, why aren't we praying this way? Right? Like, what, what, what's keeping us from praying in the way that God and Jesus are telling us to pray? There's three reasons why we don't pray the way we should pray. The first reason is because of our view of God. You know, Jesus here in this passage says that God is a good father who gives good gifts. You know, any child worth their soul, it could be a two-year-old child, it can be a 10-year-old child, it can be a 28-year-old child. One of the things that I do when I interact with families or I'm over at people's houses, you know, the father of the house is going to act like everything's great because that's what people do when, you, when pastors are at their house. Hey, I'm a great father, everything is great. But one of, the, one of the ways I can tell what type of father they are is how their kids interact with them. They don't even know that that's a tell. They don't even know that I'm seeing that. But how their kids interact with them will tell you who they're actually like and what they're actually like. Why? Because any child who's been under any father for long enough will know their father's temperament. 
And your approach to your father will always be determined by the temperament of that father. And so if you have a stingy father, you're going to be very careful with what you ask for. You're going to make sure I'm only going to ask when I need something because he's stingy and he's only going to give me something once a year. See? So your approach changes because of his temperament. If you have an angry father, you make sure that I don't approach him when he's angry. I only approach him when he's calm. Make sure that everything's good, then I can approach my dad. If you have an absent father, then what you do is you wait until he's around. And hopefully if you see him, you'll ask him something. But if he's not, then what can you do? But the temperament of your father will always determine the approach that you have. And what this passage is saying is that God is a good father. Not an evil one, because that's the word Jesus used to describe earthly father. He's not an evil father. He is a good father who wants to give you good gifts. But a lot of us, part of the reason why we don't pray is because we don't see God like that. We see God like a, like a supervisor, like the CEO of our company. And, and I, I'll approach him, but only after I've done my work. Amen. My numbers are good. My Bible's read. My prayers are prayed. My tithe's giving, given. Then I'll approach him. But think about it. When you approach God in that way, you're not approaching him as a child asking for a gift. You're approaching him as an employee looking for your a salary. Hey, boss, I did my job. Why haven't you given me a, a spouse yet? Hey, boss, I did my job. Why haven't you given me a job yet? Hey, I've done my job. Why haven't you fixed my, my finances yet? You're not approaching him as a father. You're approaching him as an employee. That's, that's not good, guys. And so when you don't have a, a proper view of God, you don't approach him correctly. Another reason why we don't pray the way we should is not just because we have an inappropriate, unbiblical view of God, but we also have an inappropriate, unbiblical view of ourselves. I don't know if you remember, but a a, a couple weeks ago when we were discussing the subject of worry, I said that the reason why we worry so much is not so much because we doubt God, even though that's part of it. It's not so much because we doubt God, but because we refuse to doubt ourselves. So I have a doubt problem, but it's not so much my doubt of God. It's my refusal to doubt myself. I I got this. Why would I go to him? And what I brought up earlier is that in order for us to to pursue God, in order for us to to say, God, I'm not moving, I'm not going anywhere because you're my only answer, you're my only solution, right, is if you are humble and you are helpless. You got to be humble and helpless. See, to be humble, you'll pray a couple times. But even a humble person after a while is like, eh, you know, I got this. But if you're helpless, the only person you're asking is God. The only person you're seeking is him. The only door who you're knocking on is his. Only helpless people stay. Only helpless people persist. The problem is, though, is that we don't really think we're helpless. We need help, but I'm not helpless. That's the problem. That's why one person put it this way. He said that prayer, listen to this, is the only time in our lives where we treat God like he's God. When you pray, it's the only time when you're treating God like he's God. And that's why we're bad at it. Because I can't treat you like you're God when I'm God. So John says, right, John the Baptist says, you can't, he must increase so that I might decrease. But we're so busy increasing, I don't have time to, Jesus is going to just keep decreasing then. If the only time I treat you as God is when I pray, then I'm going to just do that when I have to because I don't really want to pray. I got this. 
So your view of yourself. You know, one of the, one of the, the, the parables that Jesus tells that I, I feel like just really captures this having an, in, an unbiblical view of yourself is um, the parable that he tells about the, 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 the Pharisee and the publican, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. So Jesus tells this parable that they're both in, 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 at the temple and, and the Pharisee has his, his head up and his neck craned and his, his shoulder, his, his chest popped out. And, and, and he's just talking about how great he is. And, I, and I've done this and I've done that. And thank you that I'm not like this person or that person. And he, it's all about him. And then the publican, the tax collector, the one who knew he was a sinner, has his head down and he's broken and contrite. And he says, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because he knows he has no other option. There's, there's, he's helpless. The other one needed, maybe needed help. But this one was helpless. And, and what one commentator said is that the first person, the Pharisee, Instead of magnifying God's goodness, he was too busy magnifying his own goodness. Instead of asking God for anything, he was too busy telling God things. Hey, God, you should bless me because I've done this and this and that and this and that and this. That's what people that need help do. There's a difference between needing help and being helpless. You got to come to God the way the publican does, the way the, the other guy does and says, I got nothing but you, man. It's like what Peter tells Jesus when, when Jesus preaches uh, this really uh, uh, just divisive and, and confronting servant. It says that the crowds left. That's what crowds do. They leave. And, and, and so Jesus goes up to the disciples and he says, what well, are you guys going to leave too? And he's like, who else do we have but you? Where am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. If I don't go to you, who am I going to go to? See, but a lot of us, myself included, we're more like the crowd than like the disciples. I got, way, I got tons of places to go. And if that doesn't work, I'll holler at you later, Jesus. Amen. Then the last reason why we don't pray the way we should pray, it's not just because of our view of God. It's not just because of our view of ourselves, but it's because of our view of prayer. See, when, 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 when we look at prayer, this is, this is what's fascinating about this passage, and specifically that first part, verses 7 and 8. Remember what I talked about, the whole blank check thing, right? That, that, that there are two ways that you can view this passage. Two extremes. There's a spectrum on this passage. There are two extremes, and both of them are unbiblical. So religious people, people who are trying to save themselves, here's what they do. When they view this passage, they view this passage as a last resort. Here's what I mean by that. They're like, okay, this looks like it works. Jesus is saying this type of prayer works. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do everything in my power to fix my own life. I'm going to do everything in my power to fix my own marriage. I'm going to do everything in my power to fix my own kids, my own singleness, my own future, right? If it doesn't work, then this is my last resort. I, I, it's the break glass in case of emergency prayer. I tried everything else, and so this is my last resort. That's the first response. That's the religious response. That's not biblical, guys. That's not what Jesus is saying here. So the first, the first view of this prayer that's unbiblical is the people who say this is their last resort. The people on the other side, the other extreme, this isn't their last resort. To them, this verse is an all-inclusive resort. Oh, this means I can ask for whatever I want. If I want a car, voila. If I want a job, here you go. If I want a, a, a spouse, well, ta-da. So for the first group, it's the last resort. I've I, I tried everything else, and uh, I guess I'm stuck with you now, God. Right? And then the, the second group is the, la the all-inclusive resort. You're sitting poolside, and God's your waiter. Bring me that, and, and bring me that, and, and two of those. Your job is to serve me, God. You know what's interesting that as, as, we, as we talk about prayer, the reason why we have a, a wrong view of prayer, this is just from my experience and hopefully you can relate. 
I overdo everything in my life. I'm just a very excessive person, right? So I, I, I overeat, and, and sometimes I, I overspend, and, and sometimes I oversleep, and sometimes I overwatch. But you know something I've never done? I've never overprayed. And, and I'm, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I bet you have never overprayed either. You know why? Because there's no such thing as overpraying. You can't overpray. You can underpray. And for some of us, that's our spiritual gift. Amen. But you can't overpray. You can't overpray. And you know why you're not praying? Because you don't actually think it works. If prayer is the only time that we treat God like he's God, then why would I do that? This is, look at this quote from R.A. Torrey, who's the president of Moody Bible Institute. Look what he says. This is a guy who lived back in the 30s, and you would think he wrote this today because it's such a description of the world we live in today, but he wrote this back in the 20s and 30s. He said, we do not live in a praying age. We live in an age of hustle and bustle, of man's efforts and man's determination, of man's confidence in himself and in his own power to achieve things, an age of human organization and human machinery and human push and human scheming and human achievement, which in the things of God means no real achievement at all. So at the most basic level, the reason why I don't pray and the reason why you don't pray is because we don't actually think it works. We try for a little bit because we're humble, but then we walk away because we're not helpless. So the first truth that we see here in this passage is we see the command to pray. If you can put my first, my two points up again. The first truth that we see here in this passage is Jesus gives us a command to pray. After giving us a command, then the second thing he does is he then gives us the confidence to pray, the confidence. Look what he says in the next section. In verse 9, Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are what? Evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so what Jesus does here in verses 9 through 11 is he gives us the confidence to pray. He's already given us the command, and now what he does is he gives us the confidence. And here's what Jesus does. He takes what's easily the most selfless, most one-way covenantal, uh, unconditional relationship that human beings know, and he uses it as an illustration to, to, to uh, describe his father. See, the most, the most selfless, one-way relationship that a person could be in is a parent-child relationship. Any person who's, a, who's a, a, a parent here knows that. If you ever have a child because of what they will give to you, you're not having children for the right reason. Your child might give you something at 29 years old. Maybe. Maybe. But all a child does is take. Okay? Just for those of you who aren't parents, just prepare yourself. That's all a child does. So Jesus, and, and, but a good parent will say, I don't care. I, I love my child. I will give, I would give up, uh, I would go into bankruptcy for my child. I, will, I would give up my life for my child. A real parent would do anything for their child. It's funny because a lot of times as a parent, you'll do things for your child that you would never do for your spouse. And so because it's, a lot of times marriages aren't as unconditional as they should be. So you're willing to do things for your kids and then your spouse will do it like, no, brother, you a grown man. I'm not doing that for you. So we're, 
unconditional in our parenting and very conditional in our marriages, but that's another sermon for another day, okay? But, but Jesus takes the most selfless, most one-way, uh, most unconditional relationship that, that a human being can imagine, and he says, think about how, how much you love your child and multiply that by infinity because you're an evil father trying to be good. God is a good father being great, Okay? So Jesus says, okay, so we're talking about the confidence here. Jesus says there's only one group of people on the, on the entire planet that should be confident when they pray. There's only one group of people that should feel confident when they pray. And he says that it's children because he brings up the concept of children again, again, and again, and again. Jesus says that the only people who can be confident when they pray are children, are the children of God. Now, that should be encouraging. But the reason why it's not encouraging is because the Bible says we're God's enemies. The Bible says that not only are we God's enemies, but even in the same passage, if, if we are to be children, then that means there should be a level of behavior. There should be a level of, 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 of behavior modification, if you will, of righteousness that we have to have in order to be accepted. Because to be God's child, you have to be living up here, right? Here's the problem with that. It seems encouraging, but the problem is that the, the, the standard of child is so high that none of us can actually reach it. And the reason why I know none of us can reach it is because Jesus uses the word evil to describe us. One of the things that Jesus does throughout his entire ministry, any chance he gets, is he tries to group himself with us so that he, we see that he's human. But if there's one place in the Bible where Jesus refuses to group himself with us is in this passage. He describes us as evil. You know what the word evil means in Greek? It means wicked. It means malicious. It means immoral. It means bad. It means diseased. That's what Jesus is saying to you. So here's the problem. Now, now, logically, follow with me here. The Bible says that the only people who should feel confident are God's children. That's a pretty high standard. The problem is, is that all of us are evil orphans. Instead of beloved children, obedient children, we are evil orphans. So, so what, what hope do we have? Because that's a pretty high standard, and we're pretty low. So what that tells us is that someone has to make up the difference. Someone's got to make up the difference because I don't have the right to be God's child. I don't have the ability to pray like that. I don't have the ability to live like that. I am not an obedient child. I am an evil orphan, and so are you. And so the question is, if the bar is that high, then how can we ever make up the difference? Well, the reason why we can be God's children is because God's child became an orphan. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the only beloved child of God was treated like an evil orphan so that the evil orphans might become beloved children. Listen, at the cross, God refused to hear Jesus so that in your moment of struggle, he can hear you. That's what, Jesus, that's what God did for us through Jesus. At the cross, the only good one, Jesus, was treated like the only evil one so that the evil ones might be treated like they're good. Come on. That's what it's saying. That's what Jesus did for us. And when you understand that, it just, it just changes everything. It changes that. Listen, listen to this, listen to this. Jesus Christ went to the cross of agony so that by faith in him we might go to the throne of grace. Come on. That's what it's telling us. We don't deserve to be God's children. We don't merit that. There's nothing in us that deserves to be God's children. But God's child became an orphan so that we might become children. Man, that changes how you pray, guys. That changes how you pray. Because listen, once you understand that that's what Jesus Christ did for you and for me, now all of a sudden, you're going to pray the way he's telling us to pray here. 
Remember what I said earlier, it's all about the temperament of the father. You will approach the father based on who you think that father is. But if that father, listen to this, because it says, the passage says that God gives good gifts. The reason why I can be confident that God will give me good gifts is because God's already given me the best gift. So why am I going to doubt God with my daily bread if he's already given me the bread of life? That's what we see here. That if you understand who Jesus is, if you understand what Jesus has done, then what that means is God is going to accept your prayer, not based on the intensity of your prayer, but on the initiative of the person hearing you. It's not our intensity, it's his initiative. It's not our fervency, it's his faithfulness. It's not our technique, it's his temperament. That's why we will be heard. We bring nothing to the table. But praise be to God that Jesus brought everything to the table. You understand that, and and now you you go to a father who you know is madly in love with you, and you know he'll give good gifts because he's giving you the best gift. So I can approach God knowing that, God, you are going to hear me. I can can ask, and, and I can seek, and I can knock, not because of who I am, but because of who your son is. And when you see me, you see Jesus so that I can now, now you look at me and say, this is my my child with who I'm well pleased. And so you're pleased with me because of him and not because of me. The only way, listen, the only way that you and I can ever, 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 ever pray the way we're being called to pray is when we understand, listen, to the degree that I understand God's fatherhood, to that same degree I will embrace my sonship. To the degree that I understand the source of my confidence, to that same degree I will meet the standard of God's command. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you this morning and we just want to confess, Lord, that for a lot of us, this is such a hard area for us. We, we've never overprayed ever a day in our life, but boy, do we underpray. And the, path, the Bible says that we should be praying without ceasing, but a lot of us, what we have is we feel guilty without ceasing. And, and we don't pray because we don't think we're good enough. We don't think we can pray good enough. Oh, I don't pray because I'm not good at it. But how ridiculous is that, Lord? Amen. This is not an audition. It's a family reunion. And so we can pray with boldness. We can pray with audacity. We can, we can approach the throne because Jesus approached the cross. Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. And help us, Lord, as we understand the gospel. I pray that this duty of prayer would become the delight of prayer. Do your work in us and through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. Amen.